In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ, with your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ. This is the 13th episode of this broadcast. As always, I want to go ahead and remind you before we get started to please definitely check out our network. It is a historywithgod.org, and if you click the podcast section, we have many different amazing podcasts with a lot of fellow Christian, Christians trying to spread the gospel in their own and unique signature way. Every day of the week, there's a new podcast, so definitely check it out. Just go to a historywithgod.org and click on podcasts. You can find my show there and a lot of other amazing shows, so definitely check, uh, check it out. Spend every day that you can with Christ as often as possible. You know, I do that a lot myself. What I've noticed is I listen to less music and more podcasts, specifically Christian ones, obviously. And so um, it's been really helping me with the word and helping me with faith. And um, unless I'm in the gym, it's the only time I really listen to music anymore. So these kind of podcasts, they've been helping me for months now. So I highly recommend you checking out this uh, network and get in every day to, to strengthen your relationship with Christ. So today's episode, I want to go ahead and continue where we left off last week. We spoke about the crucifixion, and we spoke to, we spoke about burial of the Lord. And so I want to talk about a little bit of the resurrection today. I would like to open up with a quote. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. And you can find that in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. And that's talking about Christ. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to follow in the footsteps of the prophets and be executed just as John the Baptist was. Throughout the two years of preparation of his disciples, he tried to show them that this was the outcome. The disciples knew that this was a suicide mission, but Jesus knew this had to be done to proclaim the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Christ's path to the cross was inevitable. Walking into the Jewish temple and dismantling the taxpayer systems was on the Romans' radar. And why is that? Israel as a whole was on high alert mode because of the massive upheaval and rebellions constantly in the area. The smallest transgression could have have you crucified. And if if you understand Roman history, this happened more and more later on. I mean, the Romans, they definitely went ahead and they destroyed Jerusalem. And as we go through the Roman sources, we we will cover that. But this is nothing new. That area was a hotbed of... I guess you can call it terrorism. The Romans saw it as the Jews as the terrorists, and obviously the Jews saw them as the Romans were the terrorists because they took they occupied their land. By Saturday, Jesus' disciples all huddled together where he had arranged the Passover meal. They were around the table, weak with grief, terrified with what might come from the next for them, overwhelmed with guilt and sorrow. Peter could barely speak as he remembered again and again how he betrayed the master. They spent the next day locked in the room, They barely slept, barely ate anything. Some of the twelve, perhaps Andrew, John, James, and Bartholomew, may have sat quietly and spoke about this day. Things they have forgotten but now flooded their anguished minds. Could you imagine that state? Imagine 
you actually vi- visualize, you see your Lord being crucified, let alone not only your Lord, but your, your best friend, your mentor. Imagine seeing that and now dealing with that. It must have been an intense experience. It must have been an intense, uh, you know, who knows what they're going through, you know? And they didn't know. They didn't know he was going to be resurrected. You know, they had an idea because that's what they were taught. But, you know, for all they know, they could have been wrong and he could have died, you know? And so they had that fresh in their minds. They had that fresh, you know, it was definitely a sad state of affairs to say the least. The only anticipation, the only hope was that he would be resurrected, like they were taught. But besides that, you know, the grief must have been catastrophic. So much so that Peter still, uh, in his comatose state, remained paralyzed, barely moving. Everyone slept where they could on the floor, curled up with pillows where they sat with their final meal with Christ. Every now and then, someone would knock on the door to see if there was any news. And imagine Peter. Peter, in his comatose state, remained paralyzed. And he was barely moving. And, and he could he kept on playing over and over again, I betray the Lord, I betray the Lord. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that Peter, with his, you know, we as humans, we have our flaws and we, we transgress against Christ, or in this case, Peter did, just by being human, if you think about it, just by being human. Uh, you know, I, I guess you can go ahead and say that was his weakness towards the Lord, and that's why he denied him three times. But imagine that. Imagine for a minute that, you know, we say, yeah, you know, we're just human. How can we expect to be like God? But the fact of the matter is, it was his humanness that betrayed him, and it made him feel guilty. And he, he was a part of the quote-unquote betrayal of God. At the end of the Sabbath, the woman went out to prepare more ointment and spices. Jesus' body had not been prepared properly, and the ritual was done in a rush. The women would go to the tomb to perform the mitzvah of Tahara, which was the cleansing, ritual, washing, and the dressing of a deceased person's body. The next day was known in the Jeho- Jewish calendar as Yom Rishon, the first day of the Jewish week or Sunday by the Roman calendar. So the Jewish day of the week was Yom Rishon, and to the uh, Romans as we know it, it was Sunday by our calendar. The women uh, packed their supplies unknowingly about to witness the greatest miracle ever in human history, a miracle that almost no one believed then and still has great skepticism today. As the women approached the tomb, they asked, who will roll the huge boulder from the entryway for us? To their astonishment, the large stone had already been rolled away. Mary Magdalene went in and realized Jesus' body was missing. She ran to Peter and John, panting and out of breath, and gasped, Someone has taken Jesus' body, and I have no idea where they put him. Peter had run to the tomb, only to be beaten by John, who was younger and thinner. Have you guys noticed that? Every, uh, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. There's a, uh, if you read, I believe it's John. He actually kind of you know, admits that, like, yeah, just so you know, it's actually kind of funny you have to read it, but it's like, just so you know, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved so much got there first to the tomb. It was almost like bragging, like, I was the first one there. It's almost comical. You know, I believe uh, God has a sense of humor, and I believe through the Holy Spirit, he went ahead and gave John a little bit of a sense of humor in that passage. So, Peter confirmed that Jesus was not in the tomb. Instead, he rolled up the cloth that was used to cover Jesus' face. John also confirmed this as well. As Peter left to tell the other disciples that what they had seen, Mary decided to go back into the tomb. She saw something or someone, 
and she hadn't, that she hadn't seen before. The two men in white robes spoke to Mary. The Greek word is angeloi, which means angels. We get the word angels from the Greek translation angeloi, and that translates into messengers. They told her to not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified and has risen and he is not here. The messengers in white told Mary to tell Jesus' followers that he has risen from the dead and he was going to visit them at Galilee. Some of the women went to tell the disciples, but they didn't believe them. They thought their story was nonsense. However, Jesus appeared to Mary first. He asked her, why are you crying? And instructed her to tell the disciples that he was going to descend to his father and their father. I love how that's worded. I'm going to descend to my father and your father as well. If that doesn't say brotherhood, I don't know what does. I love how that's worded. The Roman historian Tacitus describes the early Jesus movement as a dangerous superstition. This is especially important because the Romans and the Greeks were charged to debunk and criticize certain movements. They also knew the Jews' rejection of pagan myths and legends and their insistence of worshiping one God. So there's a couple things that I want to talk about. Number one, a lot of people who are skeptical and they want to kind of debunk Christianity, they go to the Roman sources and they say, oh, it was a Jesus cult. It was a cult. It was, it was a dangerous cult or whatever. Of course, you're going to hear that from the Romans because the Romans are not even an objective source. They are an outside source looking in and they are the ruling class. And of course, you're going to see the Jews in these people as different from you. You know, it's no different than if you were an invader and you went into a another person's land or village or whatever and you saw what they what they were doing and you didn't understand it nor did you care to understand it you just if you were lucky you you reported it and if you were a good historian you reported it objectively and if you didn't you just probably reported it with distaste there was no there was no meter of you know how to to judge or not to judge somebody and in this case of course the greeks and the romans would say it was a it was a jewish cult it was a cult. Don't worry. You know, I wouldn't, it's a dangerous cult. You know, they were, they were practice, practicing skepticism. Skepticism was not, it was not invented in modern times. There was skepticism way back in the ancient times. So they were skeptics and they didn't know and they didn't understand. So they would go ahead and say it's a Jesus cult. And I say this because I want people who are skeptical to be very careful with that. Just because you read a source and it says skeptical, okay, you have to consider the source and realize who's saying it, what, what, they, what are they saying, and why they're saying it. And also, you know, Jews' rejection of the pagan myths and legends, and they insisted on worshiping one God, also kind of put, you know, ridicule from the Greeks and, and the Romans because they saw what they were doing was foreign. I mean, how could you not? They probably thought, how could you not believe in 12 gods? You know, what is wrong with these people? So there's a level of disdain there, you know, but these are important things to, to realize is because. I want you skeptics out there to realize that don't be skeptical for the sake of being skeptical. Understand why this is a skeptical argument and then take your judgment from there. Now, Jesus appeared suddenly to the disciples and said, peace be with you. The disciples were initially frightened because they thought they saw a spirit, to which Jesus asked, do spirits have flesh and bones as he showed them his crucifixion wounds? Now, I'm sure you guys are aware of the Downing Thomas story. For those who don't know, Thomas, one of the disciples, was not there present when Jesus came back. So he missed when Jesus came back to talk to, to, the, to his followers. And Thomas, where we get the term doubting Thomas from, says, I don't believe you saw Jesus. I cannot believe you saw Jesus. We saw him crucified. We know he's dead. 
unless I put my hand through the wounds of Jesus, I will know he, he was alive. And so Jesus appears to Thomas and he says, put your hand here. And he's able to go ahead and put his, his finger in his wound. And he says, he drops his knees and he says in Greek, my man, my God, you know, and he, that's when he believed. And that's when Christ said, Thomas, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. And in a way, that's us Christians today because we don't see, but the word tells us that we believe by faith. That's in Ephesians and it's all over the Bible actually. So that's a very, very, very important thing I wanted to get across for people. Now, Jesus then asked for something to eat. This plagues skeptical historians to, to them as evidence that he survived the crucifixion. The disciples gave him broad fish and he ate it in front of them. Now we know, if you, if you guys heard my episode about the crucifixion, and if you did the research on the crucifixion, we know that there's no way he survived the crucifixion. But I do find it kind of funny. I understand, well, let me rephrase. I understand why people would think it's kind of funny. Well, if he was dead, why did he eat? After he had eaten, Christ explained to the disciples that everything that had happened was written in the law of Moses and by the prophets and also written in Psalms. Thus, it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he then told the disciples, you are a witness of these things and added that he was sending the promise of the Father upon you. So. There it is. There's the resurrection. And as we progress, we're going to go ahead and go through more uh, evidence after the resurrection, what happens to Christ after he ascends to the Father. And that's one thing I find very, very fascinating, which I'm looking forward to you know, exploring and sharing with you all, is what happened in between. In my head right now, there's a gap, okay? And as we do this every week, I'm slowly you know, closing that gap. And the gap is... Jesus is ascended. So what happens in between his ascension all the way to, let's say, the Middle Ages? Because I want to know that area. I know we'll get, into, uh, we'll get into Paul. We'll get into the spread of the disciples, which I'm excited about. And that's going to probably help fill in that gap. But that is this, we're coming to an area right now where I'm especially excited about and I'm especially interested in broadcasting to you guys. So sit tight. We're going to go ahead and go through that next week. So thank you so much for uh, listening to Logos. This is the 13th episode. We're rocking and rolling. I'm looking forward to doing so many more. Please check me out on Facebook. I have a Logos page on Facebook and on Instagram. You can also find me in the network and connect with me. Write me, write me questions, and I will definitely uh, answer them for sure. Looking forward to it. Have a great week, and I'll catch you next week. Peace be with you. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by A History With God Ministries, ahistorywithgod.org.